Amen. We'll go ahead and grab a seat. As you are, you can grab your Bible and uh, begin turning to finding the book of Acts. Uh, if you are unsure where that is, uh, feel free to use that table of contents at the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have it in front of you. Sometimes, oftentimes, we put the uh, scripture that we're studying up on the screen this morning. We're looking at quite a few verses again, and so um, uh, you're going to need and want a copy of scripture in front of you. As you are opening to Acts, we're in chapter 8 this morning. Um, you know, I... Uh, this series that we've been in uh, has been helping set for us a trajectory, a direction, not um, just as kind of corporately together as a church body, but hopefully uh, for you individually, um, the direction that God has for your life and for your days and for your energies and for your efforts and for um, just all that you are, uh, that we would have a, a, just a firm understanding and grasp of what it is that God has called us to as his followers. Um, we've all been given a job. We've all been put on mission. We all um, have uh, a role to play. And sometimes uh, within the church, we, uh, we drift from that or we forget that. And um, I don't know about you, but I shared you know, over the last several weeks that this season has continued to feel like a kind of endless waiting room. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of get traction. Sometimes it feels like our wheels are spinning a bit. Uh, we kind of make a turn and only find out that, man, we got to kind of turn and go back and kind of start all over again. And some of these kind of things are sort of happening. Um, and maybe if I could illustrate it this way, um, this morning I went to uh, grab my, um, my iPad. I've, I... Um, Oh, lost signal there for a second. That, I don't know what that was. Um, but uh, I grabbed my iPad this morning. I, um, you have a nerdy pastor who likes to preach from and have kind of some tech. And so um, I grabbed my iPad and it was, I thought I had plugged it in to charge it. I did not. And so I kind of charged it up quick as the service was going to get ready to start. And then I grabbed it and I was like, I had 37% last, last service. And I was like, I think that's going to be enough to get us. And it was, I only used 7%. So I'm at 30% right now. Um, but I feel like sometimes this is how like my life or sort of days of the week or even weeks at a time, you know, sort of feel. I kind of go into it thinking like I'm going to be fine and then I get going and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm kind of tired. Like I'm, I'm just sort of worn out and, uh, and a little depleted and um, sometimes just uh, kind of a quick charge is all I really can fit in or kind of squeeze in to kind of take that analogy uh, further. Uh, but here's the thing that I think we see in Scripture and that uh, God would have for us this morning is all the strength, all the power, all the um, energy that is necessary uh, to do the things that he's called us to do. He equips, he supplies, and he is offering that. He's giving that. And so my hope is, my, my um, desire, my prayer for the, our time in Acts as we continue to march through it this year is that this would be and serve for us as like a filling, as a, um, a, a, an energizing, uh, kind of giving us what it is that we need to accomplish what he has done. And not just kind of like that kind of quick little charge to sort of get us through, um, which by the way, just to put your little heart at ease, if, if my iPad does die, I'm so nerdy that I can pull up my notes on my phone, okay? So I could preach off my phone if need be. I always have that as, a, as an option. And, um, and, uh, and so we're, we're gonna get through it. We're gonna, we're gonna be just fine. But you know what? This is what God, I think, has for us is that, you know, he wants to supply, and he has said that he would supply everything uh, that we need uh, for life and godliness, everything that he's called us to. And so um, what we're going to see in the passage this morning, just to kind of set the table for us, is uh, we are continuing, and we're in Acts chapter 8, and we just, um, uh, it's kind of a continuation or sort of the result of the story that we saw last week. Uh, Stephen, one of the faithful servants, disciples within the church, was um, 
unjustly uh, murdered. Uh, he was stoned to death um, with false accusations of who he was. And so we see he's kind of like the first martyr of the, the, the church as it's formed in Acts and um, kind of the first, the first one who gives his life. Many more uh, will give them their life um, as time goes on. But the result of that is kind of what happens in this next passage. And if I could kind of frame it up this way, most of the time what I try and do as I preach God's word is kind of have one concise sort of direction that we're marching and kind of something that we see in the passage and kind of a primary point that we're driving after. Today is kind of like, there's sort of like four different themes going on. So if we can, if you can just kind of like have that in, in your mind, it's like, man, this feels like this could have been sort of four different uh, things that we're talking about. It really could have been. But I think that all are kind of building into one thing, and I think it's going to connect, um, but we're going to see these four different themes in what we're calling the scattered church this morning. That's the title of the sermon, the scattered church, um, because that is uh, what is happening. The, uh, the believers, the followers of Jesus are scattering um, as a result of uh, this uh, attack, this persecution that is coming against them. And what we're going to see as a result of that, these themes for us, I think are really instructive and just, again, good reminders for what we need to be on mission, what we need to be, uh, have as priority, as center, as uh, central for what we're pursuing after uh, together. So before we go any further, let me just ask that God would teach us now as we turn our attention to his word together. Uh, would you pray with me? God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it gives us. And Lord, I simply wanna just ask this this morning that you would teach us that you would direct us, God, that as we hear uh, from you through your word, Lord, that it would change who we are and uh, just set our trajectory. God, fill us up. Um, give us, um, give us the, uh, uh, the energy, the power, God, the, um, the supply that we need um, in, in this week, in, this, in these days ahead, God, in this season that we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray that you would... Um, that you would just be uh, uh, teaching us now. And so we ask that your spirit would do that. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, well, let's get into it. I'm excited about this passage. Um, there's, uh, there's some great little uh, truths that God has for us here this morning. So let's begin in, in chapter eight, beginning in verse one. It says this, and Saul approved of his execution. That is Stephen's, right? And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. That's an important note that we're going to come back to there in a second. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Uh, here's kind of the first theme that we see. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. It's this, is that opposition of the gospel brings multiplication. Opposition of the gospel brings multiplication. Uh, really, what I already said is Acts 8.1 is a conclusion of the story that we saw last week. Right? Stephen has been murdered by this crowd, stoning. And there was Saul. We said Saul was uh, the ones that they laid their coats at. We're going to see Saul's life radically transformed. He's going to change his name to Paul here shortly as we continue on in Acts. But at this point, Saul is a dedicated Pharisee. And if you know Pharisees, they're not like necessarily bad guys. They're strongly conservative, um, 
a strong adherence to the Jewish laws and customs, right? All the law, they were so faithful to it. They knew the word of God. Like they, Paul, or Saul, rather, at this point, studied and knew the prophets, knew the law of Moses, knew the commandments, knew, knew all that was required of him, and he was faithful to follow it. And so here you have Saul um, uh, approving, overseeing this, this execution. So when they laid their coats at his feet, that wasn't necessarily like he's not sort of the, the, the bellhop or sort of the coat clerk. You know, they're all kind of like checking their coats with. Um, he really is overseeing this whole thing. You can kind of see that, right? That he gave approval. And that the, as persecution arose, uh, Saul was the one really leading the charge. And the word that it uses there is ravaging the church. That shirt, that, that, that uh, word is a loaded word. It's really referring to and kind of carries the connotation of sadistic destruction. That same word could be used of an animal tearing apart another animal. And so here you have sort of this visceral response that Saul has to the death of Stephen, right? We said for sure it impacted him and it's going to, it's kind of rippling through his life. But at this point, he sort of reacts negatively toward it and he kind of goes on this rampage, this sort of savage execution of Believers, followers of Jesus, house by house, dragging men, dragging women out, bringing them to prison. And so he is literally chasing them down, finding out, hunting them down, figuring out where they are, and he is just trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. But what happens as a result? This persecution results in multiplication. Multiplication. It says that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, here's what's cool about that is this is a direct fulfillment, right, of the mission that Jesus called the church to. Um, I didn't realize this until it kind of, like, flow of thought kind of came to me and as the first service. Like, here we are in Acts 8.1. If you just kind of switch the numbers about, you go back to Acts 1.8, that's where the mission was given, right? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so here we have... It says that the persecution has come against the church in Jerusalem, check. Now it's going out, like, and that's where it's gonna continue. It's gonna go out to the end of the earth, but here it is moving outward to the nearby regions of Judea and Samaria. And who's taking it? Like, Who's bringing the gospel? It's the church. It's just the people within the church. Notice it says, this is an important point to understand, except the apostles. So up till now, what had happened is the church was just gathering and growing and multiplying there in the city of Jerusalem. But as it's now spreading out, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, the Christians, are taking it to Judea and Samaria, but the apostles, the leaders, are staying there. You see the multiplication taking place. It's not just about teaching or sort of reaching others, but it's about teaching and reaching others who can then teach and who can then reach others themselves. See, the gospel um, naturally kind of points toward and calls us toward not addition, but multiplication. This is what is happening here in this situation. God is using this. And this opposition produces this scattering, which is always the case, right? It makes the church scatter. And they are fulfilling what God has called them to be. A couple important things that I think we need to see what's going on here. One is this, is that we get some really important insight into the way that I believe the church was always intended, that Jesus intended the church to be. It was, we are called to be the witness for Christ. And that is a, a calling that is placed on all of those in the church, all of our lives. 
See, the church was never meant to be about an anointed few individuals with a huge gathering around them and kind of gathered in that place. Um, and so you don't have here in Jerusalem, it wasn't just these rock star apostles that have a bunch of groupies and they've kind of like, you know, got this whole thing going on. Rather, it's, it's the entire thing is the body of Christ. Like all of, the, all of the people within the church have a role to play. And so the apostles hang back and now the people are going forth. And what does it say? Verse four, as they scattered, now those who were scattered, what did they do? They were preaching the word, right? Like they're preaching, they're proclaiming, they're telling the, of who Jesus is and the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected as Messiah and Savior. And so that's what Philip is doing. He goes down to Samaria and he's proclaiming to them the Christ. He's pointing to and preaching who it is. And so the church, I think we need to be remember, reminded of this, right? The church was never intended to be a stagnant, insular clique of people. Right? Would God protect us and keep us from, would it never be so of us? That this is just sort of, this is our church, right? These are my people. This is the group that we kind of gather. I love all of you. I, I, I want you all to be here and a part of this, but I hope that there's more that come and join us. Not so that we can just grow bigger, but so that more can hear and receive and understand and know the word of God. And not just so that we can all stay and kind of be in this place together, right? But so that we can go out from this place. And that our ministry and our mission would multiply outward. And there's a reason why, like the church, I've been in the church a long time. I grew up in the church. Some of you know this. My dad was a pastor. And so we have these like names and, 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 and terms for uh, some of this, right? We call the church sometimes like a holy huddle, right? Have you ever heard that? The holy huddle? Or the frozen chosen? How about that one? Um, I asked the first service, do they have any new ones? Do you guys have any new ones? They didn't give me any new ones. Anyone else got another little name that, that the church or kind of Christians are called? Anyone? This is your chance. You can be in the sermon. No? See, the reason that we have some of these names, right, is because it's true. Sometimes, and you've maybe been a part of that or seen it, where it's like just this tight group of people, and it's like an us and no more, right? We're, we're content with just this. Okay, maybe he can come in, or maybe she can come in, but that, and that's it, right? I'm really content with this. That's not the case, Persecution comes, opposition comes, and the gospel is scattered. And so I think what we need to do is we need to understand and kind of dispel of this notion that it's all about us, or you, getting people to church. Here's what we are called to do. We're called to get people to Jesus. And so if the church can be a tool or an instrument in that, great. I love it when you bring people to church. If, you, if someone brought you to church this morning, awesome. So glad that you're here. We're glad that you're a part of this. This isn't where it ends. Like, we're here to tell you about Jesus. And so you can do that. And maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe they do come to church, and that's awesome. But that's not where it ends. It ends in bringing them to Christ. That's what they were bringing. And so you've been gifted, listen to this, you've been gifted with everything that you need to preach the gospel in your context and in your spheres of influence, the places that you have. See, there was not any um, particular gifting that they had that you don't have. Right? They've been given everything they need to preach the word, and so have you. Now, you might need to study a little bit more. Right? You might need to learn it a bit more and kind of spend some more time in it, but, but you can. Like It's available to you, and you're called uh, to do it. We're called to multiply out. Would you teach someone who would then teach someone else? This is what the church is called uh, to do. So much so, this was happening. Like God uses all of these 
these situations and circumstances to help scatter the gospel. Um, I think it's Tertullian, um, the Roman uh, leader official, who said, like he was trying to kill, he was murdering and killing Christians, but the more that he did, he says their blood is like seed. Like the more I kill, the more it spreads. Like the more that churches are popping up. See, we are called to be like seed, that we would be scattered by whatever it is that brings us. And maybe like them, we can see the situation, right? It wasn't ideal, in fact, it was tragic that Stephen was, crucif- or was uh, executed, that he was stoned there. But that was, the, that was the spark that scattered the church. Some of you maybe are here in Madison and you're here at this time, at this place because of something that happened. Maybe it wasn't persecution, but sometimes God uses all sorts of situ- situ- situations, circumstances to bring us to different places. You know, I was thinking back on and looking at um, even just some of the, the people that were part of planting and starting this church. Our church is uh, four and a half old, years old. It's easy for me to remember that because my son was born in the first year, right? So I, whatever he is, whatever age he is, I just add a few months to that. And that's kind of the age of the church. It's really uh, easy to uh, remember uh, for me. But um, there was a group of people that were a part of this work at the, right at the beginning. And many of them were here because work or life, or other situations had brought them here. And then all of a sudden we saw that God was kind of stirring something in our hearts and and bringing us together, and and he assembled this group of people that had a a desire to see a new work planted here in the city. And so we are a church plant, we are a church start, and here's the thing, we don't want to just stop here. We're not about like, okay, we're all here, we're making this. We want to see more churches planted, right? We want to see more believers sent out. Love, love, if some of you would be called into and give your life to a particular place of ministry somewhere. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be vocational with it, but if you're called and God is leading you to go from this place and to go somewhere else and to bring the gospel to a place that needs it, then that is what we are about. We want to uh, put wind in those sails, right? We want to send you out and do that. And sometimes, sometimes God uses all sorts of situations. So you might be looking at your current workplace or your current neighborhood or wherever, you know, your school, your classmates that you're at. I just want to tell you and encourage you with this. Maybe, maybe God has you there for such a time as this that you could be an instrument, a seed there in that place. And you have, you've been gifted with everything you need to preach the gospel. And can I just encourage you with this? Some of you, some of you don't even know how much power, how much uh, Uh, the Holy Spirit can use you because you've never allowed him to. You've never really tried. It's amazing when you start opening your mouth and proclaiming Christ just how much he shows up and he works through it. Some of you can attest to this, right? You've maybe had a similar situation to me um, where I've, I've, I've been with some of my friends or kind of with people I was kind of sharing with and, and, and we were talking about Jesus and, and I had an opportunity to kind of testify and kind of give, uh, uh, you know, Tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done and, and, and what he wants to do for them. And as we're kind of talking, they're talking, and I'm thinking, you know, in a minute, they're going to stop talking, and that means that I need to start talking. But here's the thing. Presently, as they're talking, I don't know what words I'm going to say when I start talking, right? And I feel this kind of tension. It's like, what am I going to say? Like, how am I going to portray or kind of communicate this well? And I'll pray to prayer something like this, like, God, when they start to- stop talking and I start talking, can you speak through me? God, can you do that? And I'm just going to tell you, There's been plenty of times that he has done just that. Like the things that I'm saying, I'm like, I don't know how I thought about that or I don't know where that came from. That wasn't me. I'm just telling you, like the Holy Spirit can use you and he can gift you in some way. 
I think we've talked about this promise before, but can I encourage you with this? Uh, Jesus, when he was with his followers of uh, when he was with his followers, he said that John the Baptist was like he was known as the greatest prophet that had come before Christ. And he said, even the least among you, and there is a least among us, like if we were really to stack us up, we could figure it out. We could find out who's the least among us. Some of you are like, oh, that might be me. Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't, I don't have it all picked out, so don't, don't think that I already have that list in, you know, in my office or something. But one of us is the least, okay? So let's get all stacked up. We'll choose teams. And the last one picked, okay, it's, Jesus said this. He said, the least among you will do greater things through the Holy Spirit, will do greater things than even John the Baptist has done. I'm just telling you, like there is so much that God is able and wants to do through you if you allow him to do it. But some of us have never even taken that opportunity. Sometimes we're sort of forced to by what God allows and, and brings us through in life. That's what was happening here. So we see that the persecution of the gospel actually leads to this multiplication, this going out. It wasn't the apostles, it was just the people. The people in the pews are taking it out, right? That's what is happening here. Well, it continues. It gets better. Look at Acts uh, verse 6. Acts 8 verse 6. It says, And the crowds, uh, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. So they're there in Samaria. They're paying attention. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Here's the second theme that we see as the church is scattered. It's this, is that pro proclamation of the gospel brings transformation. Proclamation of the gospel brings transformation. That is what the church was doing. They were proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is uh, just a simplified way of saying the good news of Jesus Christ, right, and the work that he's done. That's what they were bringing. It says that he proclaimed to them Christ. And so the crowds were paying attention as he's proclaiming Christ and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And with one accord, they're listening and they're, they're, they're hearing what he said. But notice, notice it's not just what he said, but also what he did. They said they saw the signs that he did. And so let's just kind of put some labels on this. Philip is proclaiming the gospel in both word and deed. And both are important. Both are important. You see, it's really good and it's super helpful if you are like a great worker at work and you are like the kindest neighbor on the street and you clean up the trash and you kind of keep the yard mowed or you do all that or you're like, you know, star student and, and really helpful with it, you know, whatever it might be. Like, it's really great if you kind of check all the boxes and are a really nice person, but that won't save anybody. You have to tell them if they see your good works, it's not enough. You need to tell them about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done on their behalf. It's a very unhelpful statement that's been said before, right? Like preach the gospel always, but when necessary, use words. That's not super helpful. Like we need to do both. We need to preach the gospel always through our deed, the things that we do, and through the words that we say. Both are necessary. And so let me just tell you, if you think that just being a really kind person, someone's going to come and just say, hey, can you just tell me about what it is, is your core belief that you kind of, you know, your worldview that you sort of centered on? Can I just, I would like to adopt that and kind of bring that on. Can you just like unpack that for me? Because I really want to follow whoever it is that you're following. Like that conversation just isn't going to happen. You got to tell, we got we to open our mouth and share about who Jesus is. But 
Let's not swing the pendulum too far. We like to do that oftentimes, right? We swing the pendulum. We kind of go one extreme to the other. We also are not all about word. If all we're doing is like talking, preaching, proclaiming, and our actions like speak the very opposite, like we say we love people and then do nothing to show them that we love them, they're going to really have a hard time hearing the words that we're saying. And so what was happening here is both in word and in deed, Philip is proclaiming the good news of the gospel. So he's telling about Christ, but then they're also seeing signs done. For him, what was happening was unclean spirits were coming out of people. And there was people that were paralyzed or lame, and they were being healed. They were walking. There was miracles being done. And we've said before, there's both prescriptive and descriptive uh, parts of the book of Acts. I think for us, this is more of a descriptive. There was a specific time in history where there seemed to be a greater prevalence of some of these miracles. Some people say, like, well, why don't we see the same miracles kind of being done today? Well, there was validation that was being given, but more than that, what it was doing, it was pointing to and helping to unpack and show, right, what the kingdom of God is all about. This righteousness, this driving out of unclean spirits was happening right here in this place. And so it's, it's not even so much validating like God's power over the unclean spirits as it was showing that God is a righteous and holy God and his ability to drive out anything that's unrighteous or unholy. It's showing that he can restore that which is broken by our marred and sinful world. And so the paralyzed and the lame, they're walking, they're being given uh, new life. And it's pointing to and showing and revealing the kingdom of God in these things. And so I believe this, can God still do miracles today? For sure he can. Does God still do miracles today? For sure he does. Like he is still able. Nothing is kind of holding him back. But does he still do it with the same prevalence all the time that we see in some of these passages? I don't think so. Not everywhere all the time. This isn't like the normative thing that we need to look for and validate. And so there was no one healed this morning that I know of. Maybe there was, and they just didn't tell me. That would be really lame. If you're ever healed here, can you tell me? Because I would love to rejoice in what God is doing, okay? So don't just walk out the door. Like, let's rejoice and celebrate in that. But that doesn't mean that God's not here and not present. And let's be careful, that doesn't mean that he's not still doing miracles. You see, so many times we think it needs to have smoke and fire and sparks, right? There's like lasers going off and all that. And that's only when the Holy Spirit is there, is when it's all bright and and bold. But I'm just going to tell you, sometimes the work of the Lord is just in the consistency and in the mundane and in the faithfulness, and sometimes God is using and equipping you in some of the most like mundane ways that you don't even pay attention to, but he's doing it. Like Those are miracles all the same. I'm telling you, if we've got like some, I've told you many stories about my children, but um, we're kind of getting more and more into those teenage years. I'm just telling you, if God like changes their hearts and they all just are super kind and gracious to each other, like that is a miracle of the Lord that's happening there in our house, okay? Like God is active and his spirit is working because I'll tell you, that's not happening from anything I could do, okay? Like it is, there is, uh, oh man, we got, we got all sorts of ideas happening in our house. And then sometimes God works in some of those simple, simple ways. But here is what we gotta see and what we can't miss. I love, love, love Acts chapter eight, verse eight. Do you see what happened as a result? They're proclaiming the gospel and what's happening. This is a transformation. There was joy in that city, the city of Samaria. And it's not just talking about the people of God. It's talking about the city. There was a noticeable change that was rippling out to the city because of the work of God that was being done there. 
And here's the question that I think we need to ask as a result of this and many other passages that we see in Scripture. A question that I've asked of our church, that we've asked together, but I want to put before you again today, is this. Is the city of Fitchburg, we're just inside the city lines of Fitchburg, like Madison is actually our back, like our backyard borders Madison, but we're going to say Fitchburg. Is Fitchburg better because City on a Hill is here? Is Fitchburg better because City on a Hill is here? Or, asked a different way, if we were to shut our doors tomorrow, would anyone care? Like, would anyone miss us because we're here? I'm going to tell you this. Um, you know, when we bought this building a few years ago, it kind of gave us a defined place within the city to do ministry. Well, city officials were not super thrilled with it um, because it was going to be a hotel. And if you know how taxes work, um, <laughs> uh, hotels bring in more taxes. Uh, churches, we're kind of off the tax books, okay? So we, we don't pay tax on this. And so it kind of left a hole in their TIF district. And, and so they weren't thrilled with that. And um, so it kind of started like not on the greatest foot because they were like a little disappointed that we had gotten this and we didn't do anything. I mean, it wasn't shady or anything. We put in an offer like everybody else and the church accepted our offer and sold it to us, right? We paid for it, we bought it. Um, so there was nothing that we did that was wrong, but they just didn't, weren't super pumped about that. Um, they didn't, not that they didn't want us here, they just didn't want us like here, here. And so what I, I remember the first meeting that we had with, with some of the city officials, I told them this. I said, listen, I said, our goal is as a church that in a few years, you are super thankful that we are here as a church and you're really glad that we moved into this place. I said, I can't, you know, time will tell if that's gonna prove true, but let me just tell you, as a church, that is our goal. We wanna be a blessing um, and an instrument here in this city and we want you to be super, super um, thankful that we are here and not know how you would do it without us. And, um, you know, here we are a few years later and um, I don't know that we've fully arrived, but I just want to tell you, church, I think we've taken some strides toward it, right? We're walking in the right direction. Um, there are many things that have happened as a result that we are sort of known for now. I've shared this um, story before, but, um, or maybe I shared it at one of our, um, our member meetings, but um, one of the same city officials that was at that table, uh, recently I was at a city event with him, and he said, hey, let me introduce you to some people. And he was going around, and he was talking. He's like, hey, have you met, have you met Dave? He pastors down at City on a Hill. Man, they're doing some great stuff. They did those food box giveaways. They have that mobile clinic that parks out in their parking lot. Um, they've been helping out with Leopold Elementary School. They've been doing some stuff there. Like, man, they're just, like, you gotta, like, and I was like, this is the same guy that was saying, like, you know, hey, I don't know that we really want you in that building. Can we get you somewhere else? Um, is there any other, you know, buildings that you want in, um, in the city? And now he's, like, introducing and saying and sharing all the good things that have been done. Um, some of you know I'm a chaplain with um, the Fitchburg Police, Fire, EMS. If I've, as I've been meeting police officers and firefighters over this year, as I meet them, I, they, they ask, hey, what are your pastor? And I say, oh, up at City on a Hill on Fitch, Fish Hatchery. And they're like, oh, that food box church. Right? Like they know, they know that there's like some things that have been done here. And I'm like, there are worse ways to get known than like the food box church, if that's how people know us. I opened up the paper the other day, the Fitchburg Star, and um, they're on page two or three or something like that. Um, there's a, a whole little thing about like 2021 in review. And right there at the bottom is Scott Holthouse like pulling a pallet of boxes. And it talked about our food boxes and some of that. Listen, I think this, I believe this, church, God is just getting started. There is so much more, if we're willing, that I think he wants to do and can use us to affect change and bring the gospel here in our city. We're not just talking about purely doing works, good works to the ends of it, but rather we believe uh, 
really strongly in what our, where our name comes from, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It says there at the end, though, it says, let your good works be seen before others, and they will in turn give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We want people to see and know our Father in heaven. We want them to hear and understand the good news of the gospel, that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior has come, and his name is Jesus. That is what we are doing and why we're doing it. And just if I could drive it home with one more example. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to get to um, this, this um, uh, woman in the church. Her name is Tabitha. And uh, scripture records for us uh, so graciously that it's translated, it means Dorcas, which I don't know if it carries kind of that same connotation that it does for us, but that's her name. And uh, she died. And people were there. The city was there mourning at her bedside. It says, all the widows stood beside Peter, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made when she was with them. Like they are crying because Dorcas is no longer there. Why? Because she had been faithful in making these tunics and, and, and helping the widows and those in need. And I just wonder, again, would the city of Fitchburg or would the city of Madison miss us? Would there be any sort of mourning or weeping that would happen as a result of us closing our doors? I think this is a, a goal that God has called us to here in this place, um, that proclamation of the gospel will bring transformation wherever we are. I would love it that wherever, whatever workplace you're in, whatever kind of uh, effect that you can have on people, the people that you know, your friends, right? The places that you frequent and visit, where you work, where you play, where you live, uh, all of these things, that that, that, that that would be places that we are affecting people change for the gospel, that we are proclaiming all of that, both in word and in deed, right? Philip, both in word and deed, the things that were said and the things that he did brought much joy to the city. This is what we've been called to and tasked with together as a church. And I believe this, that as we live out on mission, what God has called us to, that that will bring joy to uh, those who hear and receive, those who are impacted by that. Let's continue on. Uh, let me give you the next theme, and I'll show it to you in Scripture. It's this. It's the reception of the gospel brings reconciliation. Reception of the gospel brings reconciliation. This is a picture of reconciliation happening here. Let me show it to you. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 9, it's this. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. All right, this sounds like an awesome guy. Um, mostly because he said that he's awesome, right? So he practiced magic, everyone's amazed, and he himself said that he is somebody great. And this guy, listen, they all, as, as Philip came and brought the gospel, they all paid attention to him from the least uh, to the greatest, saying this man, this Simon, is a man of power and God, uh, power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. So this is probably, you know, kind of like what we would expect. There's probably, um, you know, some logic to it. There's a little sleight of hand. Uh, probably also just, you know, some, um, there's probably some spiritual aspect to it. Like he might be kind of tapping into some, um, uh, some, some, some source of power, uh, not from God, right? And so he's, he's doing some things that are creating some wonder in people. But, look at verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the nature of in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So you have people sort of 
coming to Christ and being baptized and believing the words that Philip is saying here. And look at this, even Simon, verse 13, himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed, right? So we see, again, transformation, life change happening. Lives are being transformed by the gospel, even this self-proclaimed awesome guy, Philip. Verse 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Why did they do this? For they had not yet, he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here we have, um, the Holy Spirit given uh, to uh, this now church in Samaria. What's going on here? Well, a couple things. One, you see the kind of just the life change, the transformation, right? Men and women baptized, following Jesus, responding to the gospel. But one thing that was sort of unique and different, right? They're like, well, wait a second. When we believed, uh, there was kind of clear sign and evidence of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit had been given. And they were able to see and, and understand that the Holy Spirit had not yet come uh, to the church there in Samaria. Um, so they called or sent word, right, to the church in Jerusalem. And they're like, hey, you know, people are responding. They're coming to Christ here. Uh, and so Peter and John go to, to check it out and to see what's happening there. And when they arrive there, they see, yeah, the Holy Spirit has not come. So what did they do? They laid hands on them and they prayed on them and the Holy Spirit was given uh, to them. And I'm sure it was similar, um, not exactly the same. There was probably some speaking in tongues or some kind of visible sign, right, that the Holy Spirit had been given to them um, there, but, but that was kind of happening. Now, now this, this should strike you, again, as unique. We don't see many circumstances or situations like this. Later in Scripture, we're going to see, and, and, and we believe here uh, at our church that, that every believer is given and gifted with the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. Like at the time of salvation, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Ephesians says. That's what other passages in, in uh, some of the epistles say, right? But here it seemed that they needed some extra step to do that. Why? Well, I believe there's several reasons for this, but I think it was intentional. God was trying to visibly show a couple of things. The most important thing was that it was validating the conversion and the unity of the church and the message that was received. And so the apostles coming and sort of laying hands on and now the Holy Spirit being given, it's like, yes, you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the same gospel that was given here. But notice the even more powerful thing, I think, is the, signif the signification, the identity of there being one church of Jesus Christ. There was one church. And so I think that's really important to understand and to know, right? So that if um, they didn't understand that it wasn't like there was, uh, you know, the church in Jerusalem and that was kind of doing their thing and there was this church down in Samaria and they're kind of doing their thing and they each had their own Bible and their own kind of, you know, way of doing things and that sort of thing. No, I think what was showing and God was kind of confirming from the very beginning is that there is one spirit, there is one Lord and his name is Jesus Christ and there is one church in Jesus, and that is still the case today. I think we have to be reminded of that. As we look around, right, there's lots of churches and lots of so-called churches. And there are plenty of people that are professing uh, belief in all sorts of different things. Many people are professing belief in Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you this. 
any church that is proclaiming and professing Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, right? That there is salvation through the name and through the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone, like that is the church of Jesus Christ. There's obviously lots of other things that we're kind of looking at and kind of you know, trying to figure out, but I think at the core, like the most central thing is what is the gospel, right? How is one saved? It's through the power of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his life counted to us on our behalf, right? This is what we see. And so as we look at that, we understand and we know that the church is made up of super diverse people in different cultures and, and ideas. There's not just one language that's spoken in the church. There's not just one culture that's prevalent within the church. There's not just one nationality or one uh, generation or anything like that. Like we see the church of Jesus Christ is a global thing. There are believers on every corner of our globe. And, and, and that we are all part of the same body of Christ. We are now brothers and sisters as of the family of Jesus. And we're going to get to spend eternity living out together. It's going to be good, right? We're going to have the, uh, the grace of God fully applied to us. And we're going to be completely sanctified at that point in time. So all the things that we tend to pick on each other or fight about now will all kind of go away, right? We're going to be like, like I'm kind of praying my house happens now that like all the like sibling fighting and rivalries and all that just kind of like fades away. That's, that's coming someday for the family of God, right? That's going to happen. But here we have, again, a unique and special circumstance. The gospel was going out from Jerusalem. Now it's in Samaria. And so the apostles come, validate and show it. But here is what is so powerful. And I think we got to make sure that we don't miss this. What do we know about Samaria. Well, Scripture records for us, and, and you may uh, know this, that there was obviously a lot of tension and fighting between the two groups of people. Jews did not like Samaritans because they were half-breeds. They were part Jew, part Gentile. And so there was this defilement, and then they had their own sort of set of customs and laws, and there were certain things they believed about other things. And so just generally speaking, I'm not talking about within the church, but generally speaking, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. And it wasn't just the Jews picking on Samaritans. I don't have time to kind of get into it, but let me just tell you, the Samaritans were kind of messing with the, uh, um, the Jews too. Like there was a lot of like kind of back and forth that was happening. So it was kind of coming from both sides. And if you were uh, traveling from the southern part of Israel up to the northern part, you had to, there was a major region that was Samaria. You wouldn't go through it, you'd go around it. A, like a, a good Jew, good devout Jew would go around it. And so I'm just telling you, like there was some major uh, attention there, culturally, racially. There was this tension between these two groups of people. But what do we see happening within the church? It's so beautiful, right? It was one church. What was previously seen as this tension and contention is now seen and recognized as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so pretty. It's so beautiful. It's so uh, the model of what we're going after, right? And we've said many times before, like our world, especially our country, is kind of going through this convulsion and kind of this season and trying to address some of the racial or, tech, or, or, or cultural or um, ethnic kind of tensions that have existed. Uh, we have some really black mars and spots on our country's history and how we've interacted with uh, races within our country. It's not great. It's not good. In fact, it's, it's, it's awful. And, and so we're trying to kind of, together as a culture, uh, address some of these things. But let me just tell you, the efforts and the way is kind of the, the, the model is not going to do what they're trying to do. It's, 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 the end is futile. It's not going to get where they're trying to go. But we have the answer right here. 
We can see it. When we are united in Christ, when we recognize that we are all made in God's image and that we have all marred that image through our sin and that we are all in need of a savior and none of us, no matter what your skin color, no matter what your uh, place of birth is, no matter what language you speak, you are in need of a savior and there is only one savior that you, that can do what we need him to do and his name is Jesus Christ. So when we are united in Christ, that is when you see true reconciliation happening. Listen, church, if we want to see reconciliation come to our cultures and cities and the neighborhoods, communities that we live in, let's proclaim Christ. Because as we walk and we march toward Christ, it's going to draw us together. Does that mean that it all just kind of goes away and naturally we're all in this place? No, we have tons of work to do. It's, it's hard, like we have to, we are like, it's been kind of wired in some of these things. Like these are, these are things, there's things that we've kind of picked up and that we have and that we need, to, we need to like be aware of. But as we lean into Christ and we trust him and allow him to change us, he can transform that, right? He can show us. If there's sin among us, like God is gonna show it to us. It's not this like unknown thing. Like we can say, God, what sin still remains? And he's really good at kind of pointing that out. He uses people and situations in his word and his spirit to lead us in that. And so what we see here is this reconciliation coming within the cultures, and it's amazing. The church of Jesus Christ is a picture for the watching world to see what true reconciliation looks like. Why? Because Christ has reconciled us to himself, therefore we can reconcile to one another. Would that be our prayer? Would we greater reflect the kingdom of God among us? Right? We've said it before, we want to grow in our uh, diversity. And that doesn't mean just um, you know, kind, of, uh, kind of sprinkling on some things here and there or that kind of thing. Like We actively want to reach the different cultures and people around us. We've said before, if we want to reach this neighborhood, most of this neighborhood speaks Spanish. We can't do it in English. And so we're actively pursuing. That's still on the table for us. We would love to start a Spanish ministry, Spanish service within and part of our church so that we can reach people in our backyard that speak a different language than English. Like my preaching would not go, uh, would not be super helpful uh, to many of them, right? There's a barrier there. And so we wanna do whatever we can to overcome that. By God's grace, would he lead us greater into that? So much more we could say about this, but this is such a good picture of this. But let's just end with this. There's a warning that comes. Let me read it and then I'll give it to you. Beginning in verse 18, it says this. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come true upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken of the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Here's the last theme that we see here in the scattered church. It's this, is that manipulation of the gospel brings confrontation, or at least it should. It did here. Manipulation of the gospel brings confrontation. This Simon the magician um, professed Jesus. He even was baptized, right? He was part of the church. It says he's following around Simon. He's like, he's there. He's a part of it. He's continued with, or sorry, with Philip. 
Um, he's, he's there with Philip and he's seeing the signs and the miracles. Like he is there. He is, he is at the events. He's in a small group, right? He's doing all the stuff. He's, he's part, of, part of the church crowd. And then when he sees his Holy Spirit come and he's like, he sees an opportunity for business. He's like, oh man, that would be great to add to my act, right? I need some of that. Hey, how much can I, can I just get like some of that? Can you just teach me what the trick is, right? He starts pulling out his wallet and Peter's like having none of it. <laughs> he's like, he throws down, man. He's like, I see you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Like, that's not mincing words, right? But what he says there at the beginning is he says, may your silver perish with you. A more literal translation is like, he's kind of saying like, to hell with you and your money. Now, here's what I think we can believe. Here's the warning for us. Here's what I think we can believe about Simon the magician. At this point in the story, and we don't know what God does with him after this, but at this point in the story, he was not actually saved. He was not regenerate. He was not a follower of Jesus. He had not been transformed and reconciled, clearly. Like Peter wouldn't say that to an unbeliever, right? Like that's not, that's not how you respond. That's not what he's doing. But what he's seeing is he's like, listen, you don't get it. You don't understand. Why? Why would he say that? He says, you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. And that right there is the main thing. He doesn't understand that it's a gift of God. He's like, you can't purchase this. No amount of money is going to buy this. This is a gift from God. You cannot earn this. And so clearly Simon doesn't understand it, which is why Peter rightly rebukes him and says, listen, you don't have any part or lot in this matter. Your heart's not right before God. But what does he call him to? He says, repent, right? Change, respond, soften your heart, pray to the Lord. Why? That you might actually be saved. He's like, listen, would you know and understand the gift of God? It is freely given to you. Would you respond and understand? See, Simon didn't get it. The closest illustration I could think of was like, you know, it's kind of like Christmas comes and goes, you know, and you have like all these presents you kind of shower your little three or four-year-old with. And then afterwards, he's like, mom and dad, you did a great job. I just want to tell you, thank you for all these gifts. You know, I've got a dollar or two um, here. Can I just give you, you know, can I just pay for all these? I'd like to just kind of, you know, pay for all that you've kind of given here. And you're just like, no, buddy, like that's, <laughs> we're giving you a gift, like we're giving it to you plus a dollar or two would not go anywhere to like kind of pay, actually pay for it. Simon has this understanding like, hey, can I, just, can I just get that? Can I pay for that? Totally missing the mark. It wouldn't have even come close to doing it. This is a gift given by God. So here's the warning that I think we need to hear this morning. And hear what I'm saying, please, all the way through. <laughs> you might be doing all the right things, right? You may have grown up in church or maybe you prayed a prayer one day. Maybe you were even baptized. Maybe you served on some sort of team or you volunteered with this. None of those things, none of those things truly make you saved. Like saying, repeating a prayer, even being baptized, like clearly Simon was not saved. The thing that makes you saved is the transforming work of Jesus Christ upon your life and responding to this. And listen, it is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't add to it. And some of us, some of us, if we're honest, maybe are on this hamster wheel trying to do just that. Like we are trying to add to the work of what Christ has already done. He's freely given it. He is the one who has made a way. He is the one who has opened the path to righteousness and reconciliation, right? It's his blood, his righteousness applied to our account. There is nothing that we have done to earn it. 
And so would we be careful? Would this be a warning to the church that just if you, by looking like you're saved, by doing things that saved people do doesn't mean that you are truly saved. Listen, I want to tell you clearly today that all of you, all of you can respond to the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers. He has done everything that your salvation, that your righteousness requires, and there is nothing that you can do. So many times we think we need to clean ourselves up first, right? I got to get my act together, then I can come to him. Or like we come to him and then it's like, okay, well now I got to do all these things. I got to kind of get out. And listen, no, no. He's giving it to you freely. In your muck, in the mire, in your sinful state, he's invited you into his family through his death and his resurrection. He has done it all. And when you truly understand that, when you recognize that, that Jesus, you did it all, I've done nothing, right? Who is it, the theologian that said, um, you know, the only thing I've contributed uh, to my salvation is the sin that required it to happen or something like that, right? It's like, that's the only thing we're bringing to the table. When you understand that, then you understand the gospel. So I say this and bring this warning before you not to make you question your salvation, right? You can have the assurance of salvation, and you have but to ask some people around you or kind of, you know, pray. If you see and sense, I mean, it says that you will see the fruit. You'll know if the Holy Spirit is upon you. It's evident. But I'm just telling you, if, you're, if you've been playing a game or you're like, no, you know what, I've just been kind of going through the motions. I don't know. Have I ever really believed in the gospel? I would say today is the day. Do it. Don't delay. Trust in the free gift of life that comes through Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. And we would be on guard that we would never take and manipulate God's free gift for anything else other than that, right? Like we're not building our thing here. We're not trying to get any clout or, or position or anything like that. This is a gift that God has given and would he receive all the glory? Would all of our efforts, all of our energies be for him and for his glory above all things? Peter understood it. He could have made a quick buck right there, but he's like, no way, man, no way. Take your money and go. I want none of that. Why? Because Peter got it. He understood. He knew that he had done nothing, nothing to earn the salvation of Jesus, but God had done everything. This is the God that we serve. He is so good. He is so good. And he is doing a great work, and he's invited us into it. Listen, church, would we take up the mantle? Would this be this recurring theme? We're just going to kind of keep hitting this drum over and over again. Would we understand and recognize all that God has done, and would we be quick to then turn around and take that out so that others would receive and others would hear and others would know about that same gift that's been given to them as well? Our world needs to hear it. Let's do it together. Let's do it in the power of Jesus according to his work uh, within us. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your free gift of salvation, of life. Lord, and I just pray that we would be reminded, those of us who have trusted and put our faith in you, God, that we would be reminded this morning of what a blessing, of what a, what a gift that is. And Lord, I, I just pray that we would take inventory, take stock of, of God, what it is that we have put our faith in that it would be you and you alone. God, not in our own doing, nothing that we can add to it. And God, in doing so, I pray that it would be a, a reassurance, God, a, a reminder. Maybe today, Lord, is, the, is the, the day that some would respond for the first time ever and really believe, God, you are who you say you are. Lord, I believe 
that you have done it. God, that you have made the way. Jesus, that your blood has covered my sin and that you have forgiven and reconciled me through your death and your resurrection. Jesus, thank you for the gift of salvation that you freely hold out to any who would receive it. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We desire to see you magnified and glorified here in, our, in this place, God, and in this city and beyond. Lord, do that work, we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.